0: Hello, Christ Chapel, and hello to all of you joining us at the West Campus, South Campus, Hive, Internet Campus, all around the world. We're so glad that you've chosen to be a part of the Christ Chapel family, as I have the privilege of sharing with you the vision for our next year. But in order to do that, would you please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, you'll also need a copy of the sermon notes, which I know you can download or they're probably in the chat of the Internet Campus as well. Uh, today, we are actually going to finish out our series in 1 Corinthians as we use that kind of as a springboard to share the vision with you uh, for this next year. And I'll explain how I'm going to do that. But uh, just let me say, I think of this 1 Corinthians series has been a great series for us as a church to continue to remember that Christ has called us to be Undivided. That's why Paul was writing back to the church in Corinth. Let me just remind you of where we've been over these past uh, few weeks. Remember, Paul had planted the church in Corinth, then he's in Ephesus, and he's in Ephesus writing back to Corinth and he's writing back to them because he's gotten word that things are somewhat disrupted inside the walls of the church, but also there have been questions that the church in Corinth had asked him to respond to like, hey, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And that's why he says throughout 1 Corinthians, concerning the matters in which you wrote. And so he's answering those questions. So they had a good relationship, one in which he could confront them on some issues and say, hey, remember, we're supposed to be undivided on these things. And they were undivided based on the word of God. This is what God has told us. And he is going to be our guiding force. His word is what we're gonna stand on. And that is no different for us today. Uh, We stand on God's word as authoritative truth and he is our guide and he is the one that we look to as we look to be his church Uh, Today. And so they had a great relationship, Paul and the church in Corinth, and it goes on, obviously, because there is. 2 Corinthians. So he maintains a a good relationship uh, with this church. And so he wants to go and see them. And so at the end of the letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he's actually telling them, Hey, I want to come and see you. He's wrapping up the letter and talking about when I will see you again. And we often do that in our own letters or emails or texts. You know, when we're finishing something up, we're like, Okay, and I'll see you soon. That's kind of what Paul does here in 1 Corinthians 16. But he's He says a very interesting thing that I want you to look at carefully. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. As he's talking about wanting to go back and see this church that he loves, that's asking him questions, that he's able to interact with, that wants to live a life undivided in their devotion to the Lord and also in their purpose unto the Lord, he tells them this: But, I want to come and see you, but. I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Dun dun dun. I mean, What a little phrase to add on the end there. But this wide door for effective work had opened to Paul in Ephesus. Now, we haven't talked anything about Ephesus really, except its location, which you just saw. But I want to remind you a little bit of the context of what was going on in Ephesus. Remember, Ephesus was a port city. It was a very wealthy city for its day. Uh, It was probably a city of about 250 1,000 people, quarter of a million people in this city of Ephesus. Praise God, I've gotten to go there. We looked at this when we did our seven churches series. Uh, It's unbelievable the ruins that are there and unbelievable to think about what was going on inside that city during that time. Uh, it was known for the temple of Artemis, remember, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. so it was a wealthy city it was it had a, a it was probably the second largest city in the world at the time, so a huge populace uh, they want to worship idols, but they 're also very wealthy people they 're living their own lives this This is a very me centric metropolitan city of its day, and that 's where Paul says. There's a wide door for effective work for me here. And you think about what is going on there, not just in Ephesus, but what was Paul doing in Ephesus? And you have to look back at Acts chapter 19, which you don't need to look at now. Look at it later, but I'll summarize it for you. If you go back to Acts chapter 19, you hear what that wide door of effective work looked like. Paul was in Ephesus and he goes into the synagogue and it says that he begins to persuade people about the kingdom of God. So he starts going to the Jews, trying to say, Jesus is the Messiah, the one that you've been waiting for. He is the one that you need to follow. And it says that in the synagogue, that those Jews became stubborn They maintained their unbelief and they began to even speak evil of the way, which was the early name for the church. And so Paul's actually kicked out of the synagogue. He goes into a public hall and begins to preach the gospel, preach the good news about Jesus Christ for two years, every day from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., every single day for two years in this public hall and people begin to come to know Christ. There's this huge movement in the city of Ephesus, a huge revival, if you would say. So much so that people begin, there was another thing I forgot to mention was there was a lot of sorcery going on, like magic arts, dark arts, that was going on in Ephesus at the time. And people come and they begin to throw away those sorcery books. There's this purity movement as he tries to persuade people to the kingdom of God. They purify their lives of everything dark, everything sinful. They begin to confess their sins and repent. They throw all those books into this huge bonfire and it begins to cause a stir in the city. People begin to turn away from idolatry and they don't go and buy idols anymore. So much so that the silversmiths who were making the idols begin to turn against. Paul and they want to kill Paul because he's killing their economy. Think about this. There is such a stir in the city that it's ruining the economy in Ephesus. They they bring Paul in and they want to kill him and there's this huge riot going on. They're causing such a stir. In fact, a city official tells them that if we don't calm down, we're gonna be arrested for rioting in this city. There is such a stir because Paul is preaching the good news about Jesus Christ and Jesus begins to change people's lives. That is a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. And there were adversaries. It's this wide door for effective work that Paul says, I want to come and see you, Corinth. But right here in my backyard, there are people who need to know Jesus. There are people who are in dark, dark places who need to see the light of Christ. Who are giving their lives to things that are handmade, man-made by hands, that are nothing. And their lives are going to end in ruin. There's a wide door for effective work right here. I can't go there because I've got to stay right here in my own backyard. (laughs) Folks, there are people in our backyard that need to know Jesus. It's not that there's not adversaries. You know, it seems counterintuitive here that Paul would go, I'm gonna stay here where there's opposition, rather than going back to Corinth where they're like, hey, can you uh, tell me about, uh, a little bit more about uh, you know, superlapsarianism and predestination and you know, the intimate things of the faith? He's like, man, those are much easier conversations for Paul, but let me stay here where people wanna kill me. Let, me. let me stay here where people wanna drive me out of the city, where people are stubborn in their unbelief, where they speak evil of me. Let me stay here because this is a wide door for effective work. It's no secret, folks, that our world is adversarial toward the things of Christ today. Why does that surprise us? You should not be surprised it's always been that way. But just because there's adversaries does not mean that there aren't opportunities. See, that's what Paul saw in Ephesus. He saw adversaries and he saw opposition, but he saw those as an opportunity to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, when we approach these, the opposition or when we see adversaries we really have two options and they were the same two options that paul had you see paul could have run back to corinth and gone inside the walls and started his holy huddle and been with everyone who just affirmed his point of view and said this is where we're going to stay till jesus comes back amen and kumbaya or he could say jesus is coming soon And there are people who don't know him who need to hear about him. And so let's go out there and let's go find them because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and that's what we're gonna do too. We have the same options. We can say we are content to stay in the walls and stay in a holy huddle and bunker down until Jesus comes back or takes us home. That is option one. And I don't think that's Jesus' heart I don't think that's his heart at all. I think as I said, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and he wants us to see the adversaries in our world as opportunities, as a wide door for effective work and that begins here in our backyard, which is really the basis for our vision for this next year. Vision 2021 and 22 is very simple. It's to reach those in our own backyard for Jesus by being his disciple. It's to reach those in our own backyard by being his disciple. Christ Chapel, there is a wide door for effective work right here in our own backyard. Now, now when I say in our own backyard, I'm not discounting, we're not uh, gonna forget foreign missions or international missions. We are still gonna uh, continue that. But folks, the world is coming here. Do you understand that? The, the world is coming here and there are plenty of people who don't know Jesus. There's a wide door for effective work right here in our own backyard. We did some research as a church and around our three physical campuses, so around the South Campus, West Campus, and Fort Worth Campus, within a 10-mile radius of each campus, if you add those up, there are one million residents one million residents within a 10-mile radius of our campuses. If you use the the current census data, eight out of 10 people have zero affiliation with Jesus. That means within a 10-mile radius, you're good at math, within a 10-mile radius of all of our campuses, In our own backyard, there are 800,000 people who are going to hell who have no affiliation with Jesus whatsoever. They don't know the freedom he provides, the joy he provides, the peace. They don't have any hope. They're giving their life to man-made idols. Their life is on a path toward destruction. And they're in our backyard they're right outside our back door. And we cannot be content to sit inside our walls and say hell with you. That is not Jesus' heart in any way. You see, Jesus' plan to reach those in our own backyard begins with you. It's, it's discipleship that's his plan to change the world. That was the plan that he gave to his disciples in Matthew 28. At the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, He tells his disciples, Jesus came and said to them, them are his disciples, the ones that he said, follow me, the ones that had given their lives to not only adhering to his teaching, but following in his ways, basically becoming many me's of Jesus. He says to them, authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i am with you always to the end of the age no matter the adversaries no matter the opposition no matter how dark you think the times may be I am with you always to fulfill my purpose. He is with us always. His plan to change the world, his plan to reach those in our own backyard is through discipleship. And so if we, this next year are gonna reach those in our own backyard through discipleship, then we are gonna have to be one. We're gonna have to be a disciple. We're gonna have to make one, make a disciple. And reach one, reach one who becomes a disciple for Jesus. So that is the vision for this next year. And I want to walk you through what each of those mean for this next year to reach those in our own backyard. It's three of those initiatives that I want to tell you how we're going to do that. So initiative number one is be one. We are going to call each of you to be a disciple. So we embody the heart of Jesus in our relationships, You cannot give away something that you don't yourself possess. You you can't express that. And we've got to embody the heart of Jesus in our own relationships. Jesus gives the great commission to whom? His disciples. Those who were already his. Those who said, I am all in with you, Jesus. Jesus. And so we've got to be his before we can make disciples or reach disciples. So that's why we start here with be one. And so here's what that means for you this next year. We're going to embody his heart by first understanding his heart more by reading through God's word. God's word is foundational for everything we do. These are our marching orders and this is our message. It all comes right here. This is what we're calling you to. This is what we're going to live on. This is authoritative for our lives. And in order to understand his heart, it's poured out in his word. And so you've got to understand his word. And so we're going to sit, soak, and saturate ourselves in his word. And we're going to do it uh, in a couple different ways. But the first one is, if we're going to understand his heart, then we are going to have to take a in-depth look at Jesus's life and so for the next 15 months we are just going to look at Jesus so for the next 15 months we're going to do we're going to look at two portions of scripture next week we're going to begin a series called the upper room in, in the upper room discourse called poured out where Jesus pours out his heart to his disciples right before he goes to the cross. It's basically his last words to them before he sees them resurrected again. And so what does Jesus' heart look like when it's poured out to these disciples that he's been pouring his life into? So we're gonna do a series on, on that. Then, beginning right before Christmas, we are gonna spend the next year in the Gospel of Matthew. We are gonna spend an entire year in the Gospel of Matthew. Again, taking an in-depth look at Jesus's heart. If we wanna embody his heart, then we need to look at his heart and see how he lived his life so that we can begin to embody his. And what we're gonna ask you to do is read through those portions of scripture. Read through the entire gospel of Matthew. Read through the entire upper room discourse. And we're actually gonna help you do that. I always tell you, and, and this is still stands to be true. If you do not have a Bible, Jen and I would love to buy you a Bible, Uh, but our elders are going to buy you books so that you can read through these portions of Scripture. So beginning next week, you'll have a Gospel of John so that you'll be able to read that portion of Scripture. Would certainly love for you to read through the entire Gospel of John, but you'll be able to read through John 13 to 17. And then beginning right before Christmas, we're going to give you the Gospel of Matthew so that you can read through the entire Gospel of Matthew. What's unique about these books is, plays into our second initiative, is we're not only going to understand his heart more by reading through God's word, we're going to align our hearts with his through weekly journaling, prayer, and scripture memory. We're going to align our hearts with his through weekly journaling, prayer, and scripture memory. Inside of those journals, one side is the text, the gospel of Matthew or the gospel of John. The other side is a blank page for you to be able to journal, for you to be able to write down prayer requests, for you to write down all those things, the people that you're praying for, all those things right here, scripture memory. You can do that, and the reason why we need to do that is because it plants the word in our hearts. Something that I pray for my boys, and I've told you this before, is Psalm, oh, it's in Psalm 119, that they would hide the word of God in their heart that they might not sin against him. And we've gotta hide the word of God in our hearts so that we might not sin against him because when there is opposition, the thing that we fight opposition with is the word of God. When you look at spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter six, what are we given? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You look at Jesus's life in Matthew chapter four, when he's being tempted in the desert, when he's a- approached by an adversary, this opposition, what does Jesus respond to Satan with? Okay, what does, what does Jesus respond to Satan with? Scripture, it's scripture, He's fighting the battle with scripture. And it's not because he rolls out a scroll and goes, "Uh, hold on, Satan, let me find that verse. It's because he says, I've hidden the word of God in my heart that I might not sin against him. And he knows it. Matthew 4, 4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is what we live by. And so we've got to incorporate that into our lives. We've got to memorize it and hide it deep down in our hearts. And so we're going to help you do that. So you're going to get the journal so we can read through God's word or the book that you can read through God's word and you can journal the thoughts and we'll, we'll help you with this uh, on the back of the sermon notes. But you'll also be able to memorize scripture together as a church as we align ourselves, not only in scripture memory, but in prayer. And here's how we're going to do that. We want you to text in vision, the word vision, to 24253. And this is on the back of your sermon notes if you don't do it right now. So you'll, you'll still see it and still have it. But when you text that in, what that's gonna do is it is gonna get you into a text message and Monday mornings at 8 a.m., the first of every week, we are gonna send you a prayer focus and a verse to memorize for that week. One verse, well, it might be two. Give us some grace here, okay? But can we do that? Can we memorize a verse or two each week that we meditate on? that we chew on, that we hide deep in our heart, that we might not sin against him, that we could be and embody his heart as his disciple. And then the last part about being his disciple is we are gonna put his heart into practice with a group centered around God's word. You need to be a part of a group. Jesus was a part of a small group. I know some of you go, I don't need it. And Jesus did? (laughs) Jesus was in a small group where he was transparent, where he was vulnerable, where he even shared prayer requests with his disciples. Do you remember this? Everybody needs to be in a group. The New Testament knows nothing of a Lone Ranger Christian. To be a disciple is to be in a group. We, we are meant to be together. You cannot be a disciple and be alone. We need one another to support each other in our walks because we aren't just supposed to know his word, we're supposed to put it into practice. James 1.22, don't just be hearers of the words, but be doers of the word. And I know you have a, a home group insert in all of your sermon notes and a home group, get into a home group or get in a women in the word group, or a band of brothers group, or a re-engage group, or a thrive group. It, my point is we need to be in a group. We have to be supported. Our adversary picks us off when we're alone. And that's why we need to be in groups. To be a disciple means to be in a group that is centered around God's word. So that's our first initiative. We are going to be a disciple so we embody the heart of Jesus in our relationships. The second initiative is we are going to make one, make a disciple so we expand Jesus' heart in our community. You know, when we think about reaching all of those in our own backyard, that's a very daunting task if we think it's all up to us. Now, you certainly have a part. And I'm glad that we've ju- just done First Corinthians where we looked at First Corinthians chapter 12 where we're all a part of the body. Everybody has a part to play. We need you. The body of Christ needs you. And in order to expand his heart or extend his heart into the community, we're going to have to do that in a couple of different ways so that we make disciples. The first one is this. We need to add and we need to multiply. First, add by finding a place to serve that blesses others. We need to add people into the ministry. Add people into the harvest field. Do you remember Jesus says that in Matthew chapter nine? I keep bringing up Matthew because we're gonna be studying Matthew this next year. In Matthew chapter nine, remember Jesus says, hey, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord would send laborers into that field. And I'm convinced that our light shines brightest when we're serving. When we are laying down our life for someone else in a way that blesses them. That is when his love, because that's selfless and our world is selfish and I struggle with selfishness. And what helps me is to look at Jesus embody his heart and then say, okay, I'm not just supposed to take in the knowledge. I'm supposed to go and use it because anybody that is just taking in knowledge and never putting it to use, you are like the dead sea. You have no outflow. You're stagnant and you're salty and not in a good way. We're supposed to add to, to give away, to serve others, and we need to add. We have places inside our walls. We have been beating the drum for children's ministry. I, I just had a dinner the other night with a great family who started to come to Christ Chapel. Um, they went to go volunteer, and they were told they can't volunteer because they haven't been here six months, which is awesome. I mean, I, I love that we have that rule. But these are new folks. I love their heart. But, folks, there are are those of us that have been at Christ Chapel forever and we're like, man, just not ready yet. When are you going to be ready? It doesn't have to be children's ministry, but we need folks to raise up the next generation for Jesus. You don't like the way that our world is going? Then pour into the next generation, (laughs) change it, change the trajectory. Change the, change the trajectory. These are folks in our own backyard, not to mention in our own classrooms, in our own walls. That there's plenty of other places that we can serve. And there are places outside the walls as well. I love it when I hear from people in our community that says, oh, you go to Christ Chapel? I say, yes. And they said, we, we have somebody who serves here that goes to Christ Chapel. I'm like, not surprised, because you're great folks. But every disciple has a place to serve. Every disciple, where are you serving? Where are you giving your gifts? We've got to add into the the harvest field, add the laborers. You've got to have a place to serve. And then we multiply, multiply by inviting and investing yourself in someone who can serve with you. That's what Jesus did. Jesus is walking along and he says, hey, come and follow me. Come and serve with me. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go here and I'm gonna perform a miracle. You wanna see it? No, you're not supposed to perform miracles, I know. I get it. But say, come with me. Do you have an area that you can serve? And then will you say, come with me to somebody else? You know, one of the things that I so love about Christ Chapel is we are a multi-generational church. I love that we have younger folks and we have more mature, sagely folks. What if we we met in the middle and those younger folks began to seek out folks that are more mature in their faith and said, hey, can I learn from you? Can I go with you? Can you can you teach me how to do that? Everybody should be raising up someone else. And all you have to be is one step ahead of someone else. You don't have to be an expert. Just one step ahead. What if you began to pour into someone else? What if you were a younger person who said, I'm gonna seek out somebody that, can, that can, I can go ask questions of. Don't put all the onus on them. Go Take questions. Go ask or say, hey, can I help you with that? But let's invite someone to serve along with us. Jesus said, come follow me. Paul says, remember in 1 Corinthians 11:1, follow my example, Corinthians, as I follow the example of Christ. He was saying, come with me. Come with me, follow my example. We've got to begin to go two by two. Jesus sent out his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, two by two. We don't go at it alone. Remember, no disciple is alone. And we don't serve alone. We serve with other people so that we can invite them into, but also invest in them so that we can multiply ourselves and reproduce disciples in our community. It's the only way that we're gonna reach the 800,000 which goes to initiative number three. Reaching one. Not only being a disciple as we embody the heart of Jesus, but we've got to put his heart into practice and make one so we expand Jesus' heart, but then reaching one so we express the heart of Jesus to our neighbors. One of the things that I have been convicted of as I continue to study the word, and I'll just say this for all of us if we do not have a heart for those who are far from God, then we do not have the heart of Jesus. If we don't care about people who don't know Him, then we do not have His heart. And we can't say that we're a disciple if we stop at initiative number one. And we can't say that we're a disciple if we stop at initiative number two. To be his disciple means to reach those who are far from him and to care for those who are far from him. And when I talk about these 800,000 that are in our backyard, I'm not talking about, I am talking about strangers, because there's people that you don't know that I know that God is gonna cross our paths with, and I'm just, I'm thrilled. But when I talk about people who are far from God, I'm talking about your friends. I'm talking about your neighbors. I'm talking about your coworkers. I'm talking about your bridge partners, your hunting buddies, your classmates, your roommates, your family. I'm talking about people that if we believe what the scripture says and that the return of Jesus is imminent that they would be left in hell on earth right now. If we don't care about them then we don't have his heart. And I think you do. I think we do care about him. We just don't know how to reach them. And so we're, over the course of the next 15 months, we're going to make a very intentional effort to reach those who are far from God, who are right in our backyard. And we're going to do it in kind of an interesting way, I think. So the first way is this. We want you to submit your faith story so we inspire other believers to share their own stories. Here's what I mean. When I hear a story about how you came to faith in Christ, that encourages me to go and share my story. And when I hear your story and it sounds a lot like my buddy's story, then I go, okay, man, maybe I can connect you to, or maybe I can say, see, I have hope for my buddy because your story is like him and Jesus can step in. Jesus can turn a life around. Jesus can save those who are far from him and who are lost just like we were. See, don't forget that. We were all once enemies and adversaries of Christ, and yet he came and saved us. And so we wanted you to share your faith stories so that we can begin to share those stories about the transformational power of Jesus. And we're gonna capture those stories in creative ways, and we're gonna share those stories in creative ways. And as you prepare your story and begin to share that story, it's not only going to inspire other believers, but it's going to begin to prepare and equip you for when that day happens, that the Lord opens that door wide, a door for effective work. You are ready to share the good news about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. So you've got to submit your faith story, which we'll talk more about over the uh, next short while. But second, you need to attend equipping sessions that will include worldview and evangelism training. This past year, we put on a worldview conference that I think was very helpful. If we want to know how to reach those who are far from God, it might help us to understand how they think. Maybe they think a little bit differently than we think and so we're going to put Lord willing put on another one of those conferences and maybe even some different worldview training I know we've done a lot with our students which we want to continue to do but also evangelism training we have an evangelism training expert on our staff Dr. Doug Cecil who wrote a book seven principles of evangelistic life and he breaks it down very simply I love how he does it And we're gonna offer evangelism training because, as he says, uh, evangelism is often going places you don't wanna go, doing things you don't wanna do, and saying things you don't wanna say. And that's not evangelism. Evangelism is an outflow of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It starts with a heart that is closely aligned with his. And when we have his heart, how can we keep in his story? when we understand the difference he's made for us and what he can do in someone else's life, why would we wanna keep that to ourselves? Which leads to our last one, is share the gospel with two people who don't have a saving relationship with Jesus. These are gonna be two people that you're gonna begin to pray for. These are two people that you have a relationship with. Two people, two people, two people. If all of us shared the good news with two people, who did not have a saving relationship with Jesus, what would our backyard look like? I I just believe in the power of Jesus and the scriptures. And when he tells us that if we lift Jesus up, he will draw all people to himself. If we will lift him up, and we will share the good news about Jesus, why would he not save those in our backyard? Why would he not? Why would he not do it for the one you work with, for the one you're related to, for the one you love? Why would he not? That's what we're gonna pour into Because I think what Jesus put us here on this earth for right now at this time is to reach those in our own backyard. And that's what we're going to pray about. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your plan. I can't believe that your plan to reach the lost and to change our world includes us being disciples, making disciples, and reaching those who are far from you. Lord Jesus, we humble ourselves before you and ask, would you do what only you can do? Lord, we don't wanna go anywhere. You don't want us to go. We don't wanna do anything you don't want us to do. We will not move without you. You are everything that we need, and so we place our entire hope and trust in you. In you. Would you lead us and would you open a door for a wide door for effective work to be done in our own backyard? And we ask it in the powerful, saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen.